Welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersock. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, back in the land of music. Back talking best Pixar score here to finish up the bracket. Yep. And honestly, like, we always talk about how the parks brackets are always our favorite ones because that's kind of our bread and butter. We love the parks. That's where this fandom really comes from. But I also really, really enjoy when we do these music episodes. Uh, The best Disney song was amazing. Uh, The best Disney love song was super fun to break down. And I, I love that we're hopping into scores because such an important part of these Pixar movies and you know even though there's only six composers that have worked on all of these scores in the in the existence of Pixar everyone is worthy of being talked about and I'm glad we're doing it on this bracket and to continue to help us find who is truly the best Pixar score is our friend Marissa. Marissa welcome back. Thank you guys for having me back I'm really excited to finish off this bracket and determine which one is the best Pixar score. Yeah, after last week, I almost didn't invite you back because uh, my heart was broken over and over and over again. But uh, I, I'm happy. I'm happy with where we left off. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm really excited. All right. Well, before we hop into things, let's talk a little spoonful of sugar. Chris, what do you have in your glass tonight? So I'm back with a craft beer pick from my generous craft beer uh care package that was sent to me by Steffi and Ryan. Um, I went with the one I was most excited to try. Oh, here we so go. So I, I have high expectations for this one. It's from Maraz Brewing Company, which is located in El Dorado Hills, California. This company is called Craft Beer Kings, but it should be called California Craft Beer Kings because <laughs> there's literally one state being represented in all of these <laughs> beers I got. Um, it's called Guava Lava. It's an Imperial Sour. And it has a picture of a volcano. Oh, wow. Exploding guava, I guess. Um, I picked it because uh, lava is a Pixar short. And it has a picture of a hop committing some type of sacrifice to a pineapple. Oh, my gosh. And I don't know that I vibe with human sacrifice. Right. But I'm going to try this beer out. I'm very, very, very excited. I'm hoping it's good. Oh, it's foaming. It's foaming. Oh my God, it's delicious. Yeah? A little guava action? I mean, this is this is might be my favorite beer I've ever had. Oh my gosh. He's found it. He's found it. I found it, everybody. Kyle Madsen, he's found it. <laughs> Mouse Madness is shut down. We're going <laughs> home. Um, love it. 10 out of 10. Kyle, what about you? Well, the vibes were off last episode, everybody. All my favorite picks got shot down. They're no longer here. So I needed to switch it up. I was drinking my least favorite liquor last time, vodka. I think that's where I went wrong to start. So I went back to a staple from our April Fool's episode because we had so much fun doing that, that Bob bracket. I brought back the Racer 5 IPA from Bear Republic. 
up here in Northern California. Just a normal everyday IPA tastes a lot like all the other ones. And I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling good about this time around. Marissa, what do you've got this week? I continued my wine streak since we're still talking scores and I always need to have a glass of wine in my hand when we talk any classical music or score in general. So I'm just doing a regular cab and sipping my way through this bracket. Marissa, can I quickly ask you about like your history with classical music? Because I don't think we brought that up at the beginning. Um, you said you play saxophone and recorder. So were you a band kid in high school? I... Not high school. Um, I was definitely a band kid when I was growing up in middle school, elementary school uh, time. I'll, mm, I Okay, so I started playing piano when I was in kindergarten and then recorder. And then I transferred schools in third grade. And this school specifically was very heavily arts influenced. So every single year you had to learn an, at least one instrument in their fam in a family so Mm. third grade was percussion fourth grade was woodwinds or was it strings no it was strings fifth grade was woodwinds and sixth was do whatever you want wow yeah so i had to learn the bongos in the third grade heck yeah (laughs) fourth grade i was violin but then also transitioned into learning viola but stayed right. with violin. And then next year, I went to alto sax and then also learned how to pick up playing sax or the um, the soprano sax. And every single you had to get um, practice point cards from your parents so that you were practicing. The music teacher would give them to your parents. And every single time you practice an hour, you would get like a little sheet of paper ticket thing and i practiced so much because the top prize was a borders gift card and that's how i would get my harry potter books was because i practiced so much music oh my gosh (laughs) this bracket is brought to you by borders books and music folks (laughs) that that would be a mouse madness sponsored (laughs) to fuck um that's so funny i i love kids more than a lot of millennials, but my personal version of hell is a classroom of third graders playing percussion all yeah. at the same oh, time. I bless the music teacher's heart. Mrs. Higgins was such a great soul. She was so patient. She was the music director for everyone. So it wasn't just like the third grade. It was everyone. Oh, boy. It sounds like Mrs. Higgins was the new teacher on campus and got stuck with the third graders playing the bongos. Yeah, I, w- I was very quiet back then, so I was like, I don't want to make a lot of noise, so I would just tap it. <laughs> and I had to lower it a lot because I was really short. Oh, man. I love well, it. we might hit you up in the future to uh, do some recordings of some uh, Bugs Life uh, piano numbers. <laughs> just just, just not, not now, maybe in the future. Um, so speaking of music, enjoying music in our personal lives, Kyle, you introduced me to final record collecting as a hobby. It's been super fun for me, but you're the king. And I heard you picked up a couple of very unique Disney vinyls recently. So you want to tell us about those? Yeah. So actually, uh, one I'm very excited about is... 
So everybody knows that Daft Punk is no longer together. They're not going to be touring or making music or doing any of that stuff. So there's a, a shop that I shop at, which is called Mondo, and they do a lot of cultural pop culture releases of things. And and just a couple of weeks ago, they announced that they were going to be releasing the Tron Legacy soundtrack and score done by Daft Punk as a special release uh, in one of their like culture drops. And I was like, I got to I'm going to be like Marissa on the computer, on my phone, trying to buy touch of Disney tickets. I'm going to have every browser open and I'm trying to get that vinyl. And your boy got that vinyl. It's not here yet, but I'm very excited about it. It's one of those like uh, they bring in an artist to do the artwork. So it's a very uh, specific vinyl cover. And the the vinyl itself is style, stylized like a, a Tron disc. Um, I'm super stoked about it. But the big find, I'd been texting Chris about this for a minute. I was looking for a vinyl record of the Firehouse 5 Plus 2, which is the in-house Disneyland band composed of uh, animators, Ward Kimball, George Bruns, and I found it. I found one. So I was on eBay, and most of them were not great quality, as you can imagine. These albums are from the 50s and 60s, so unless they've been kept pretty pristine. There's one guy who I was a little, a little sus about because he didn't show any photos of the vinyl itself on eBay, but claimed it was in great condition, looked like it had only been played once. And I was like, he's only selling it for seven bucks. I'm going to just get it and just see, just roll the dice. This album is pristine. It is like a brand new vinyl. It is. I lucked out big time. So I was cleaning the house today, playing a little Firehouse 5 plus 2. They're like a a Dixie jazz band is what they are. So it was a lot of like Dixie covers of songs in this like New Orleans square sounding genre. I was loving it. Um, it, it was amazing. So those are two big pickups. Uh, and I'm always on the search for random Disney related vinyls to add to my collection. So hopefully another one comes soon that I can report on. Yeah, I am kicking around the idea of picking up some uh Pixar scores on vinyl. Yeah. And uh let's let's get into breaking down uh what's left here in that conversation. To remind everybody what our survey demographic was for this bracket, it was folks tweeting about Mighty Ducks Game Changers the series. Absolute delight. Y'all should check it out on Disney Plus. We're big Mighty Ducks people on this podcast, so we're we're all big fans. Uh, we love big boy Emilio. Thick, thick Emilio. <laughs> He's great. National treasure. Uh, and to remind everyone uh, where we are in the process here, our round of eight looks like the following. Number one, Toy Story versus number nine, Monsters, Inc. Number 13, Toy Story 2 versus number 12, Brave. Other side of the bracket, we've got number two, Soul versus number 10, Inside Out. Last but not least, number 14, A Bug's Life versus number six, Finding Nemo. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, I'll start us off because Kyle started us off uh, last week. We've got number one, Toy Story versus number nine, Monsters, Inc. These are both movies scored by the incomparable Randy Newman. Oh, boy. And 
in my opinion, uh, these are two masterpieces in the Disney collection and in the Randy Newman collection. Uh, I had Toy Story advancing over Incredibles 2 last week. Kyle did not. Marissa broke the tie, got us to where we are now. Um, Toy Story, I, I praised it for its uh, classical symphony-style approach to scoring the movie. A lot of the characters have their own motifs that are revisited throughout. We've got buzzes. Kyle compared it to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Very triumphant. Um, I, I like that it's those three notes. And Buzz's catchphrase is to infinity and beyond. And so the notes yeah. are going up and up and up and up. And it's just, it's perfect with his catchphrase. So I love that about the, uh, the selection of the theme for Buzz there. One piece we didn't get to talk about with Toy Story last episode is the piece Soldier's Mission. The little green soldiers, not the little green men, different characters. Uh, the little green soldier guys have their own, like, theme. They're marching down to Andy's birthday party to do some reconnaissance, hook up that baby monitor so they can get back to Woody and tell him, uh, you know, what toys are going to be coming to Andy's bedroom soon. And, I mean, it's a piece that sounds very much like you'd expect uh, a song that accompanies some marching ar- army men to sound like. But it's it's like those slower kind of unnecessary sequences that I think are like the pride of Pixar. And and these days, Pixar gets really hung up on proving some point or revealing some really large truth about our existences and uh, telling a complex narrative that that they lose those like extended animation sequences. The same thing happened in Disney animation. Like you watch a movie like Bambi and it's pretty pointless. It's like 90 minutes of just like fun frolicking, you know? And then we're out here with Moana, like uh, challenging yeah. racial injustice. And it's like, whoa. Um, so uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, it's something I appreciate about uh, early Pixar. Monsters, Inc., um, a little bit more uh, jazz inspired, definitely uh, less character motifs in the score. I, I don't think I can think of uh, specific ones for Sully and, and Mike. They don't come to mind. Uh, Mr. Waternoose has one. I believe Randall has one. And I believe Celia, Mike Wazowski's girlfriend, has one. But I, I don't think there are individual ones yeah. for Sully and Mike. Perhaps just that's just because they're on screen like literally the whole time. So they don't really need one. Best one, hands down, Boo. We talked about it last episode. Uh, they bring it in and just absolutely dig that dagger so deep into your heart uh, when, when Sully says goodbye to her. It's, it makes that moment so, so memorable and, and powerful. I mean, I don't think... I mean, like, these are two of my favorites. Like, I, you know, these, these are definitely, like, probably both in my... Big Randy boy top, I'm, I'm a big Randy boy. What can I say? Uh, I think... I am going to go with Monsters, Inc. because I think that Toy Story is not the best of the Toy Story scores. And I think even though it is very like um, uh, complete, 
in my opinion. I, I like the the unique vibe that that Monsters Inc seems to have with that that jazz that kind of swinginess and how that's uh, like juxtaposed with work life in Monstropolis. Toy Story, classic, classical score. How it relates to toys, not really sure that it does. It's interesting that um, you know, like so much emotion is attached to these these inanimate objects. And and we realize that in the very first piece with Andy's birthday party, where uh, Andy's got playtime and you know it's like full on orchestra. You know, this is not just some kid playing with toys willy nilly. Like this is this is real. These, this is real life. These characters are real. These toys are real. Uh, let's give them some real energy. Um, so I appreciate that. But uh, like I said, Pixar is a vibe, and Monsters Inc. is that vibe. The Best track of the Toy Story score, in my opinion, is Andy's birthday. Uh, you you get hit with what essentially becomes Pixar's theme, like their theme song. It's kind of like Captain America and uh and the Avengers kind of becoming the the uh, Avengers theme for the rest of the MCU. Pixar's the ba bum ba bum That's the castle song for Pixar. And you hear it again at the beginning of Bugs Life. Like that becomes Pixar's theme. I think that's super important when you're talking about best Pixar score. And then as that that track goes along, it's not just like in the movie where it's immediately Randy going, but they very orchestral, very orchestrally weave in that you've got a friend in me theme in different tempos, in different styles during the birthday track. I think it's so gorgeously done. And I'm pretty sure that they use Andy's birthday as part of the uh, on-ride on ride attraction soundtrack for uh, Midway Mania because it's very, it's very similar. It's just that one's just so well done. Talked about 2001 Space Odyssey, but there's another part uh, in which Randy pulls from popular pop culture uh, movie styles and it's around Sid. Sid gets a theme that's like a march. It's very like Darth Vader march sounding whenever Sid's on screen. And you get this very dark feeling that this is a a, a, a dictator almost. <laughs> like and that's how he is to his toys, right? He has these uh what they I think Randy calls them the mutants on the track, which are all the toys that he's like taken parts off of and and put onto other toys. They get this really like scary uh uh score. They get this very scary theme under them, very dark, very low. But then you also get a little but but almost as if it's hinting that they're actually good before we find out that they are actually good. I love I love that. Like you've got a friend in them. Woody and Buzz, you don't have to be afraid. Like they're there to also help you. Um, and when they, at one point, I think it's uh, when the duck swings from the light bulb into the window. No, it's when it's when uh, one of the mutants is on Sid's head. I think you get the Alfred Hitchcock eek 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 like really quick, <laughs> and it's perfect because that's it. That's that feeling, right? It's that feeling of terror of not having control over the situation that these mutants kind of like give you. So I think it's just like very 
awesome the way that Randy pulls from pop culture, puts it into this medium that the world had never seen before. This is the first computer generated movie, full length movie ever. And you immediately take it seriously because it's all tropes and sounds that you attribute to some of the greatest classics ever created. But it's not just copying. It's paying homage to it. I think that's super, super cool. Monsters, Inc. Um, yeah, the, the, I, is this the Monsters, Inc. song? The, that's, that's Monsters, Inc. Because there's another one that like, there's a similar one that's the Flix, Flix machine. That's a similar like, like similar baseline. Yeah, when he's getting, using his invention in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, that like running jazzy baseline in Monsters Inc. You you're saying that it's like it's their like on the on on their way to work song, right? It's that it's that jazzy song. But it also just screams factory to me for some reason. You know, just like on pace, just going boom, boom, things are firing away, just in tempo. That sounds like a factory, and that's what Monsters Inc. seems to be, right? It's this huge warehouse in which Everyone's just doing their their job, doing their thing on the uh, scare floor and behind the scenes and canisters are delivered, put in, boom, somebody goes in, scream, ah, comes back out. Like it's very a well-oiled machine. And that's that soundtrack, that that track is just so perfect for it. Like I said, jazz is all about improvising. And I think that was intentionally put here. I think that Mike and Sully don't know what to do. They they have no idea because to them, this is a dangerous situation. So they're just making it up as they go you know they even improvise a costume for her to seem like a or seem like a monster to get her into the factory i think that's such a great choice and i have a feeling it was consciously made which is very impressive i mean randy before that was writing scores about toys (laughs) and stuff right and and now here he is like putting in these these major themes in Boo's Adventure, when she shows up at Harryhausen's, you get another eh, 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 uh, nod to Hitchcock, which I think that's just what you do now. You know, like in movies in general, like when something surprisingly bad happens, every composer leans on that that screeching string sound. So it's not surprising that it did, but it's funny because it's a child, right? It's a it's a literal toddler. You're right, Boo's theme. It's just a it's a, a tearjerker, man. It's so beautiful. And it's so well used that like it represents Boo and her innocence, but then it also represents the love that Sully and Boo have for each other as like these friends slash like this father-daughter relationship. And where it really comes into play is when the doors returned and they put that last piece in and he opens it up. And it's even slower than it usually is, <laughs> you know? And it's just what a great stylistic point and it's the same as uh using silence in inside out right like drawing out the spacing in between those notes allows you to really absorb the moment as opposed to feel like you need to rush through that door very great he also uses a bunch of just like kind of normal score themes uh or techniques so like when mike and sully get exiled and they get thrown out literally thrown out the the accompanying track is the orchestra running down a scale. So it's very much just like helping along with the fact that these these fools got thrown out and are tumbling down a hill. It's very textbook, but it was a nice 
a nice thing to hear in a movie where you just don't know what Randy's gonna do. <laughs> Randy, Randy's a whimsical dude. He could he could pull out viol- or pull out xylophones if he wanted to. Yeah. And then it turns into this big triumphant horn section for the the ride of the doors. I always forget like Monsters Inc. is a super long movie, it feels like. Right? You, once you get to the exile part, you're like, how how much longer is this movie? <laughs> I thought it was about to get resolved. And then there's still like another 25 minutes. <laughs> so then it gets kicked into this like adventure ride of the doors, uh, which honestly should be should be the ride in California Adventure. We should be on some doors and flying through some stuff instead of sitting in some taxi cabs. But that's for another podcast. Uh, it's just great. It's just great. This is a this is an awesome score. This it's a weird that the number one and number nine matchup here is a it's a such a close toss for me. It's weird. Chris, you went Monsters Inc. I'm gonna go Toy Story because I want Marissa to choose this one. Oh, I was not prepared for this. Oh boy, because there are two matchups in this Elite Eight that I'm like, oh boy, I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do, and this is one of the two. <laughs> Oh, man, because I passed on both of these, obviously. I was like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I love Annie's birthday and what Kyle was saying with that was the intro for (laughs) Bug's Life. And I think it may have been a couple other intros for a couple other movies. I can't, don't quote me on it. But also the Toy Story, um, the soundtrack it's deep. I don't know if you guys looked it up, but it's when it first came out, it was two discs. Yeah. There was 51. Because you wrote a theme for every single sing, like singular character. 51. <laughs> five one on the first soundtrack, and then the there was eight on the other. This soundtrack is deep. Yeah. And it's not just um, You've Got a Friend in Me and all the other songs that were put on there, but that... I couldn't believe that. I'd never even realized it. And I do love Toy Story for what it is and what Andy's birthday score did for Pixar. And it's Here comes another butt. It's Here comes literally another butt, it's, ladies and gentlemen. It's Toy Story's baby. Like it's just the baby. Like it's Pixar's baby. I just I don't know what to do here. Cause I love Monsters Inc. too. And I I keep going back and forth here because I love Walk to Work and I love the scare floor and the jazz influence and the wide variety of the melancholic and everything. And oh, gosh, I don't know what to do here. It would be so different. And this was kind of my deliberation between um, it was Coco and who went up against Coco um, Bugs Life. Where if it was soundtrack, I would have totally picked Coco over Bugs Life. But we're talking about scores sure. here. Because as much as I loved Coco as it was like Spanish singing and all the diversity in there, because that that soundtrack slapped Bugs Life out of this world. There there would have been no doubts there. But we're talking scores and gosh i it i love them so much and they are randy's 
<laughs> the hottest hot seat we've ever had. Oh my, <laughs> seriously though, right I'm just looking at my screen and I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, wow, what did I do here? <laughs> I love you. Toy Story, but I am passing on Monsters, Inc. in this round because of the jazz influence in there and the blue-collar workers that go to work and with Scare Floor and everything that it brings and the... <sighs> we just don't really get that in Toy Story. If there, if there was a different Toy Story up against... Minus Toy Story 4, that's kind of irrelevant... But if there was a different Toy Story against Monsters, Inc., I probably would have gone another route, but I am going to go Monsters, Inc. versus Toy Story in this round. All right. We've done it. Number nine has taken down the number one. To move on, let's head into the next matchup. It is number 13, Toy Story 2 versus number 12, Brave. I already said a lot about Brave. Uh, I still feel like the, the center part of that score, the middle part of the score, feels very generic. I I... I feel like I listened to a different score than you guys did because the two of you were like, yeah, this Celtic influence all the way through and it's so great. And I've been to Scotland and it sounds just like this. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking about? It sounds like any other like action adventure movie in the middle there, especially like, yeah, I don't know. So bizarre. Um, The fact that like Toy Story 2 with its versatility you go from typical Toy Story at the beginning into like Woody's Western themes uh, in the middle. You got Jerry coming out here after his chess game against himself to go patch up Woody's arm and, and clean him up with this very like, uh, uh, it feels very like Home Alone. That theme, Jerry's theme feels super like 90s movie to me for some reason you know it's just it's a beautiful beautiful track um so yeah that's what i have on those two tracks honestly like i wrote in toy story 2's uh notes that i felt like it was a a less impactful score than its predecessor than toy story uh only because it, it felt like besides um adding some of those Western themes in the, in Jerry's score. I, it's not even what it's called Jerry's score. I'm just calling it. That's the, what are you getting fixed up part of the, of the soundtrack? Um, that it, it's just kind of felt similar to the rinse and repeat, just added the Western and, and the fixing up track and brave does do a lot with the bagpipes when they choose to use them, like the bad pipes and the fiddles and the, and the Celtic influence. But it just still didn't leave an impact on me. Like when I think of Brave, I only really think of Touch the Sky, to be honest. And that like Mordu drinking song. <laughs> like, And those those are the two like singing songs. Those are songs that are sung that aren't being included on the score bracket. So, I mean, this is 12-13 matchup. Uh, I don't know. My heart's been broken so many times on this bracket. I'm pretty much heartless. Nothing can phase me now. I'm going to go Toy Story 2 over Brave just because of that generic middle piece for me. Um, no, Kyle. I, I would not submit that the Celtic influence is evident throughout the Brave score. Um I think if it's there, it's it's very subtle and too subtle for me to tell. Um, 
I love a good troll job. I love using heavy bias to advance unworthy movies on um on this podcast and I'm happy I was able to do that with Brave. I do love those few super Celticy numbers in Brave, but um I personally think that Toy Story 2 is my favorite Pixar score out of any of the Pixar scores. I think it is uh much deeper than Toy Story 1, uh, contrary to what you said, Kyle. Um, and I, I would like to get into that uh, next matchup because I am advancing Toy Story 2 here. Uh, past Brave uh, breaks my heart, but even I can't be a troll in this matchup. Uh, so, Marissa, do you, do you agree with that? I apologize. I sent your, your buddies from Scotland home. That is quite okay with me. Um, I... I very firmly believe that Toy Story 2 was the better pick in this matchup. Um, as much as I do love Brave and what it brought to the Pixar portfolio, Toy Story 2 was the better pick in this matchup. Cool. So let's hop over to the other side of the bracket where we have the number two seed Soul versus number 10 Inside Out. It's the battle it's your of two the same, uh, same, same movies. Exactly. <laughs> it's the weird internal sounds. So I kind of want to pick up uh, where you left off with soul because yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked a lot about the jazz influence in this score by John Batiste. <laughs> the first song is called feel good soul. No, the first song yeah. is called feel soul good or feel good soul or something like that. Then the next song colored greens and cornbread strut. <laughs> like, come on. We've officially yeah, arrived right. at Soul right there with yeah. that that yeah. song title. Like brilliant. Uh and I mean, yeah, it's just like rollicking, incredible, authentic sounding jazz. More so than like anything Jacino does. Like we keep saying, like, oh Jacino, like so jazzy, like like Batiste, like this is jazz. Yeah. He's he's like he's like Michael's like big big band jazz which is different than like this more classical style not classical in the sense of music but like classic style jazz in which it's like somebody comes up with a theme and soul it's the ba 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 and then everyone plays around that and solos and then you come back to the ba 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 so it's it's two different jazz worlds but this is the one that like is that feel good jazz, not the big, like I'm going to go to a ball and swing dance and, you know, listen to brass horns in my face all day. Trevor Bauer has a no hitter through six. Just yes, I, 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 I got that. <laughs> oh, she was trying not to say it this entire time so that she wouldn't. We're going to post this as the moment that we jinxed Trevor Bauer. Um, sorry, Trevor Bauer is a friend of the show, so we should, we should talk nice on him. And I'm still drinking um, the Dodgers uh, wine. So I don't know if either of you have seen um, Whiplash, yeah. but Whiplash is one of my favorite movies ever. So good. So good. And, and, and the jazz score in Soul reminds me a lot of Whiplash because it's just, yeah. it's so pure, you know, it's just pure jazz, uh, intimate, authentic no frills attached and and I love that about it and and when I dove in to listening to the score I was like 
I'm going to love the jazz stuff and I'm going to want to fast forward through all this Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross stuff. And um, believe it or not, kind of the contrary happened. And not that like the um, jazz stuff I didn't like, but I found myself wanting those Soul World songs to come back up. And the reason being a lot like what I said about Inside Out last episode, the music is very like grounding to me. And it has that kind of like ethereal underlying hum to it. Yeah. Uh, that that's very it's like very zen. Feels like almost. you're at a spa. Literally like And I dig it. Like I, I yeah. dig it. My yeah. my favorite place in my entire apartment is the bathroom because it is a place of relaxation. <laughs> and so um I had my noise canceling headphones on listening to this like soul world music and I was like I feel like I'm reaching another plane, which is like literally what, what this space is that they that they even call it that um, in the movie. So you were uh, calling the musical style uh, mechanical or something like that. Technological. Um, I've been listening to a lot of neo new wave synth pop. Okay. And this is like similar to that. Uh, it's not it's not neo new wave, but it is very synth poppy where you have instruments where it's like that kind of sounds like a xylophone, but it's not quite the same timbre as a xylophone. Yeah, um, it's it, like you can tell like there are some like electric pads that they're just like. Hitting. And also there's two types of xylophones. There's yeah, wood right. and then Lots the metals. Yep. So it's harsher yep. on the metal versus the wood. There you go. So uh wrote down a couple of numbers, Jump to Earth and Earthbound. Those are the ones that kind of have a little bit more form to it. Yes. A little bit less of that, just like, let's do some like humming tones. It's like, this sounds kind of like it's an actual song. Reminds me of something straight out of the Tomorrowland music loop. It's like, you could throw, uh, you could throw this in there and I wouldn't even notice. <laughs> it's, it's so kind of like... uh um, familiar sounding, but also futuristic at the same time. Right. And I love that. Love that about like the whole synth pop genre that I'm just now kind of getting into. Um, so, I mean, there might be some recency bias, I guess, for me in, in picking up this, uh, this score at the right time. So you were talking about how like you don't really understand the connection or like why, why there are these two different things happening. And and I thought this same thing when I was watching the movie. I was like, why didn't they just like do jazz throughout? And I think it was to, like you said, Kyle, last week, really establish two distinct places and energies uh, completely. Yeah. And so Absolutely. on the one hand, you have this uh, real world where jazz, like you said, is very improv- improvisational. Anything can happen. Life is unpredictable. Um, yes. it's very frantic and no one knows what's going on, but at the same time, like there is some structure to life and like for jazz being so improvisational, there are still elements that you expect every jazz piece to have, um, certain sure. instruments that you expect in every jazz piece. And then you go over into this soul world where it can be kind of a parable for like anything in the afterlife. Anything. It's, it's, it doesn't have a lot of form to it. It's very abstract and you don't really know what to expect. You're not really sure what these instruments are, but in my opinion, it sounds good. So it's like, that's really 
uh, kind of like what I think about when I think about what happens next in life after we die. I don't really know what it looks like or what it's going to feel like, but hopefully it's good. And and that's kind of like what I pull from from these two different styles is like uh, separating life in the afterlife. And I love that. I love. I was super skeptical to see like how come there's it's two different scores, but um, they don't work well together. But I think that's kind of the point because they're completely different. Uh, observation, not necessarily criticism, but observation. These Pixar scores are getting so, so long. Not in the like playtime, but in the number of tracks on each record. There's like freaking 50 songs on this soul score. And, but they're like one minute, two minutes and 20 seconds, 48 seconds, 29 seconds, minute and 41 seconds. It's like, I wish maybe they could have like drawn it out kind of like what Randy Newman yeah. does, where it's like a, a five minute piece for one scene instead of just like, let's, let's pick apart some uh, little tiny moments. I love, I love it. I love, I love both parts of the soul soundtrack. Love the jazz stuff. Uh, obviously it's great. Uh, the piano instrumentation on Born to Play Reprise at the very be- very beginning, Joe f- shred just like inhuman yes. shredding. Uh, so like it doesn't sound real. Yes. Like how can a human like move their fingers that fast? So good, so good, so so good. I mean, Inside Out, uh, very surprisingly enjoyable t- to me. I, I broke it down a lot uh, on the last episode. Uh, very intimate, very uncharacteristic of Michael Giacchino. Not super robust, not super uh, boisterous in your face. Lots of brass. It's not there in Inside Out, which is what I love about the score. It's interesting that we have two Pixar movies that I'm just are sort of okay to me, but two scores that I, I both hold in very high regard. Uh, and, and like, I, I love that about this bracket is that like, I'm able to, to pull away some, some pieces from some movies that I was a little bit disappointed in that I can be like, no, that's, that was a great part of that movie for sure. I'm going to go with soul here. Um, just because I, I was really impressed by all aspects of the music here. I think I was, I came off as a little too harsh about the soul score last time, um, saying that like the difference between the two worlds was too harsh uh, sounding and too different. I don't think I necessarily meant that as in like it's too different and doesn't work. I think it absolutely works for this film. It has to. You can't have the jazz continue on into the soul world. That doesn't exist. They, they can't eat. They can't do things like that wouldn't make sense for the movie to have the jazz sound continue on. So I'm definitely glad that they did it. But when you're listening to this score on your own without the, the movie, it goes jazz and then it like instantly stops. And you're at this like I wrote I wrote Ethereal too. like you're in this spa like hums and chimes every once in a while. And sometimes this very robotic melody will show up, um, which was what was weird for me, that like this robotic technological thing 
sound existed in this ethereal, literal soul world where that wouldn't be a thing. But I think it's just, it could be just because we don't, we don't know. Like that's just our best interpretation of what we think this like ethereal soul place would sound is with like these like beep, boop, beep <laughs> every once in a while. Um, so this is what I did like though. The, um, or about like that soul world is that portions of it turned into pure chaos where it was like spa and then they like turned up the distortion on the hum and it was just this like sound every once in a while. And I think that's the like unpredictableness of what the soul world could be. You know, it's not always going to be the spa like charm. It could have some bumps in the road, I guess, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, they did a really good job. It's, I'm glad that like they brought a jazz musician in instead of doing the the Coco route of like Michael knows jazz he knows like big band jazz that's enough just get him like a uh, uh, a consultant and we'll just rock it they brought in like someone authentic to not only the movie and the culture of the movie to lead the way but then they also brought in like experienced uh, score composers and Trent and Atticus who won an Oscar for it so it's great Inside Out is that score really matches the the energy of that movie, right? It's we talked about the fragility, we talked about the uh, uh, the softness, the whimsy of uh, of the youthfulness of a child. I think that's really important because when you've got somebody like Michael who loves himself some brass sections, that's not really going to work for a movie like this. That would be way too intense when you're dealing with quite literal feelings, right? You don't need brass horns for everything. We brought up joy turns to sadness slash a growing personality. That is the bread and butter of this score. Like it is so beautiful and gentle, but then it gets really, it starts gentle and like fragile, but it is so powerful at the same time. And I think that's what this is. Our feelings are fragile and gentle, but also our power. This is what makes us us. And I think the way he uses silence as well as the whimsy like xylophones and uh, kind of not marches, but like, what would you call that that first track? That dun, 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 dun. like not march, but it's like the things are moving, moving forward, growing further, like the way he pairs those two up, I think, is really important for the movie because it's about growing up, being in touch with your feelings, accepting those feelings, processing those feelings. Uh, it's great. What it comes down to here, though, is that listenability just ge- in general. Like if I enjoy a score like I do with like pirates, love the pirate scores, think they're phenomenal. I'll throw those things on all the time, right? Uh, a lot of movie scores, the be- uh, the the Dark Knight score, phenomenal. I'll throw that one on as well. Not really going to throw on Inside Out very often. I will throw on Soul. And in fact, the reason why I was like, it's like a spa is because when I was working and listening to these things and taking notes and then going back to, to work, at one point that hum hit and I was like, oh, baby, it's nap time. <laughs> oh, baby, it's nap time. And I think that's on purpose. Souls are resting. 
right? It's a it's a place of uh, comfortability. Really like that. Soul's moving on. Marissa, any hard feelings there? Um, no, not at all. Um, I do love the Inside Out score. I love the film for what it is and the message that it brings that it's okay not to be okay sometimes. And, you know, the title that Michael brings in of Bundle of Joy and the riled up and memory lane and, you know, just the subtle yeah. little things that he does to each of his scores. He puts he puts the effort in there and then the tears of joy and chasing down sadness. So I very much appreciate what he did for this film. I do agree. Soul's just so unique that it's not like really any other movie that I've seen. Um, it's also very brand new in the realm of Pixar and just movies in general. So... I'm very much looking forward to watching it more and paying more attention in um, to the score aspect of it. But it it's jazz number. It's funky. It's different. It's something that we really haven't seen before. So obviously I'm very excited to watch it more. And yeah, I agree that it's the, it's the score that needs to move on in this round. All right, let's move on to our last Elite Eight matchup. It's number 14, A Bug's Life versus number four, or verse number six, Finding Nemo. And oh, baby, this is a tough one because these are two very, very, very good scores. Start with Finding Nemo because I didn't talk about it really at all. Thomas Newman. So, Chris, you brought up that uh, this score feels like, I think you said this, this score feels like swimming along. And... A lot of it is because Thomas uses these like frills in a lot of the tracks that is like, and it literally sounds like a fin scurrying along. Like if you're at like an aquarium and you see a, a fish burst, like that, that's the sound. That ability to convey action through sound is what Thomas Newman does over and over again in this score talk about vastness the 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 opening title so so coral gets eaten babies are everywhere or not anywhere anymore nemo's broken on the ground of this cave marlin picks him up names him nemo and it's just a hum the entire time with a little piano that's the and you're just like we're only three minutes in baby we're only three minutes on oh Oh, this is gonna suck and then it swells and what i love about the swell is that as the camera leaves and we get the title we see the vastness of the ocean and that big that theme is gorgeous and it just says ocean for some reason like it just paired up with this movie so freaking well and then it becomes the love theme that's the that that family theme that like that is the the uniting uh track for marlin and nemo not only because that's where they kind of you know, obviously Marlon and Nemo are the only two alive from that entire family now. But like, it just exhumes like love, happiness, and safety. 
for some reason. And it's a lot because Marlon provides that for Nemo. So there's also, uh, he does a great, Thomas does a great job of using echo effects during a lot of these tracks where you'll hear like a a a, a flute type instrument, a, a woodwind of sorts, kind of echo off in the distance during these hums that almost sound like something's very far away. A whale's very far away. A dolphin's very far away. Like this ocean is massive. And that's Marlin's biggest fear, right? Is that the ocean is huge. We don't know what's out there. We're kind of afraid of it. Don't give in to adventure. And Nemo wants none of it. There's a moment. So talking about like these Newmans, the cousins Newmans pulling from pop culture during Friends Not Food, which is obviously the shark scene. Uh, You get a little bit of Jaws in it. There's another like boom, 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 boom in that score, which is an odd like you have to, right? If you're Thomas Newman and you're writing a score for a scene that involves sharks, you have to you have to give that. One thing that's interesting that I I'm not that's a little jarring for me. And here I go again saying like something's jarring or doesn't make sense because it's supposed it's supposed to, like you're in a different environment. Is any time that surf rock guitar shows. Oh up. yes. Uh I are you is that an oh yes like oh give me more surf rock guitar more more oh man see because for me and maybe it's because the the bias is setting in i hate i hate nemo's hotbox adventure and there's a portion in that ride where you like see squirt and it just is this heavy like and you're like what is happening why is this so loud that's probably why. But it also makes sense in the movie. It just doesn't match anything else. Like everything else is this big sweeping kind of score. You get the the even the fish tank has its own theme that's a little bit softer. Um, the the scum angel does a great job of that. Like similar sounds to the ocean, but very like it's very contained, which I really like. It's similar environments, just smaller. But the the um Darla Filth off ramp. And the turtle loop. Those two feature uh, a little surf rock guitar. And when you're listening to the soundtrack without the movie, you're like, God, where did that come from? But in the movie, it makes sense because obviously Crush and Squirt are like surfer dudes. At least their characters are. And they're getting straight barreled in the EAC, baby. So it, it makes sense. But in listening separately, it's a little jarring. It is up. Against a bug's life, which I did not pass along last time because I felt like a lot of the time uh, in this movie, things got a little too generic and, and recycled. Like I said, the the hero theme of the grasshoppers was weird. And then it got turned into kind of like a hero theme with the with that bird scene, the, the ants making the bird when the grasshoppers attack, like using that in this heroic sense when it's been used as a villain theme the entire movie was a little bit weird for me but the a bug's life suite i think you said this marissa is just such a that certified slap right it's just such a great embodiment of what that movie is and it is also just beautiful because that opening title is just so 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 good uh and it you know this is this is randy at at whimsy randy a lot of the times which i think it needs to be this is a movie about bugs 
like who who had done movies about bugs like you you're thinking very small you're thinking very uh f- funny at times like these bugs are look very funny and he injects that into the score but i still feel like uh and maybe this is me at fault for comparing randy's toy story to bugs life that that recycledness just doesn't sit well with me for whatever reason it just doesn't sit but it doesn't really matter because Finding Nemo's score is absolutely dominant in this matchup to me. I'm moving Finding Nemo on. So before I talk about Finding Nemo, I just have to say, since jinxing Trevor Bauer, Trevor Story single, Charlie Blackman home run, CJ Crone walk, Ryan McMahon home run, four runs, since... Mouse Madness jinxed the no hitter. <laughs> Trevor Bauer did not retire a batter. <laughs> was re- was replaced by David Price, who gave up a home run. <laughs> oh no! The start of it, like what you've done, was when you were start when you were talking. Um, you were talking about in Seoul. Yeah, that was the start of it all. Oh, and no. I was just, I had my phone right here. I was like, oh no. Oh boy, it can't uh, get any worse. And then I was like, Oh no. Oh no, Ryan McMahon. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh no. <laughs> I was like, Now uh, we're only winning by four yeah. runs, but we were up by ten. But everything's fine. Um, everything's fine. I'll just, I'll just finish my it. glass of wine and call it a day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I am a defender of the surf rock personally. I, I think it's that's fine. I think it's I get it. It's goofy, and that's why I like it because. Um, Crush is goofy, and I love Crush and love Squirt. They're so funny to me. Bugs Life. <laughs> I can listen to Top to Bottom, no problem. I think it's great. Here's the thing. I don't want to see Randy Newman absolutely dominate this bracket. So I'm advancing Finding Nemo here. Whoa. Whoa. So that we'll have Newman going up against someone who's not Newman in the finals. Whoa. Total strategy move here. I'm going Jeez. with I'm going with Nemo. So wow. sorry, Marissa, you don't have an opportunity to defend your childhood bias uh with with uh Bugs Life. You know, that's okay because in this matchup I would have picked Finding Nemo over Bugs Life, even though nice. I was going to put in the last round, I put my personal bias in there and I was like, ooh, you know, there was a bunch of things that passed along Bugs Life for me more in that realm, but in this particular, I'll get it, I'll say something in the next round, but I listen to Finding Nemo probably on a daily basis. Dang. All right. Let's hop over to the other side of the bracket where we've got our final four matchup. Who will go to the finals? It's the number nine seed Monster Zeke versus the number 13 <laughs> seed Toy Story 2. You you two did this. Listen. And that's listen. fine. I'm I'm fine over here. I don't know where you're it, at. But if, I'm not fine, if, obviously. No. <laughs> if there's an error in this bracket, it's the seeding because... These are two just solid, solid movie scores. 
I mean, forget about Pixar scores. These are two solid movie scores. So I think these are two well-deserved Final Four entries here. Um, I haven't really gotten to do a, a huge um, Toy Story 2-like argument, so I'm going to do that right now. Uh, I, I, I hinted at it last matchup. Toy Story 2, I think, is my favorite Pixar score. It does everything that Toy Story 1 does well in assigning specific leitmotifs to the heroes uh, and just like amplifies it in Toy Story 2, like adds on top of it. Kyle, you mentioned uh, Jerry, homeboy, uh, yep. the, the repairman, whatever his name is, the cleaner. It, th- totally unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. Yeah. But like, let me just write a whole piece for this sequence. I mean, th- it, that's the quality that I look for in a, in a film score. Um, you talked about the opening sequence in Toy Story 2 where it's Buzz versus Zerg. And we mm-hmm. get that buzz. We get that buzz theme. But you forgot about the awesome action uh, theme that is introduced for the first time here, and I think it comes up a couple of times in the remaining Toy Story movies. It sounded like teacups for a little bit. I listened to um, all of these scores like on their own. Yeah, same. Uh, other than like um, breaking down the, the super memorable moments where where like uh, scenes are accompanied by music, uh, sat down with my nice headphones, didn't do anything else but really focus on these, and I was inspired throughout the Toy Story two uh, listening hmm. experience. Just hearing these uh, themes come up again and again, I didn't have to watch the movie to know who was on screen and, and exactly what was happening. You mentioned like the tiptoeing at the yard sale, our yard sale as Woody's trying to like snoop around rescue wheezy. I mean, it's just that, that kind of st- like, that's just textbook. And, and I, I love textbook personally. I, I, I can understand like, Oh, it's boring. If you know, you just felt like, I mean, to me that, that feels uh, satisfying. Oh man. You mentioned Woody's roundup. Ah. And and how it, it it comes in um kind of like symphonically. It's when Woody is kind of having mm-hmm. that like internal struggle where he's like re- he's like realizing he's a celebrity. Yeah. And but he like he's still got Andy there. And the song is called Woody's a Star where it's like the you've got a friend in me theme is like dueling with the Woody's Roundup theme. It's like... So good. Swear? I swear. You're going to have to like corroborate this with me. I swear when somebody loved me comes back symphonically. And that's like Jesse's a uh, little light mode. Yeah. I swear it happens a couple of times. It might. It might. I don't remember it, but it might. I want to say it's like a plucky kind of boom, 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 boom. Uh, yeah, that would make sense. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, uh, yeah. Just like so subtle, but uh, it's in there. And like that, like that's, that's why I love this, this score is like it, it pays attention to those really minor details. Bullseye. Bullseye's got a theme too, because of course... Bum, 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 bum. Bullseye, he's Woody's horse. Uh, it comes back when um, Woody is like riding to save 
Jesse along the runway. God, it's so good. And then and then uh, the movie kind of climaxes with that buzz motif where Woody is like dangling yeah. from the landing gear and he like drops his hat and it's like bah, bah, bah. buzz grabs the hat and then the plane <laughs> takes off to go to Japan with them still on the tarmac and uh, it ends like the, like the, the music ends right there. So interesting because I never really thought about this movie as like a buzz movie. I, I've always thought about it as a Woody movie, but like, like how frequent that buzz theme is throughout Toy Story 2 really makes me reconsider and be like, Woody kind of like saved Buzz sort of in Toy Story 1 oh, after yeah. he kind of like screwed up. But um, that story was about like Woody redeeming himself. And, and this kind of felt like Buzz's payback maybe, sure. you know, like, this is a guy who did me wrong. I could just as easily let him go, but like, I'm going to save him because I'm buzz freaking light. <laughs> uh, so I really, I really got so much out of re-listening to this Toy Story 2 soundtrack. So many memorable themes, so deep. Uh, I was entranced the entire time. I, I, I I like the argument that Monsters, Inc. has that kind of like more stylistic influence. When you think of Pixar, you think of uh, a certain style. And I think the way that a lot of Pixar movies pull in other musical genres make it a unique animation studio. So, so part of me is like, oh, I would really love to advance Monsters, Inc. to the finals for that reason. I can't not advance Toy Story 2 because I came into this being like Toy Story 2 is my favorite. So I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I think that what Pixar does well is remain authentic. And that means authentic to the music uh, that should accompany specific movies. So it's authentic to bring in a jazz artist to do soul. It's authentic for um them to bring in a cultural consultant for Coco. Like the those authentic beats are important because Pixar wants to tell stories that are relatable and in order to be relatable they need to be authentic. So in Monsters Inc that was just really a stylistic choice I think. Uh when you think maybe like industry and and um production i guess like maybe you think jazz because the time periods kind of lined up with like big business uh, uh production lines and the the need to escape that in improv like everything was so formalized with production lines and and in these big factories that jazz came out of not needing restrictions anymore and so maybe that's that kind of tie with Monsters Inc. and what makes it authentic is that it's been this way the entire time and they're they end up changing how it should be viewed, you know? Like it's no longer screams, it's now laughter. Like we've only been looking at things one way. So I get that. Um but when it comes to like best Pixar score, you think about Pixar and you kind of think about like this comfort and this this home and this warmth. And I think that Toy Story 2 does that very well. 
And you were talking about the buzz opening. We've been both been talking about the buzz opening multiple times here. But the best part of that buzz score is the bum 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 bada bum 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 bada bum 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 like right after that big horns bum 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 but like he's on a mission. Like that's such a great little lick that they include in there. And it only lasts for a little bit until he lands on the planet and is ready to go on his mission. But that's just such a what a great way to start that movie, you know, just like this is going to be an adventure movie like you thought the first one was. Well, buckle up because this one's even more so. And we got a villain this time. That's a toy. I'm with you. I think Toy Story 2 is definitely the better Pixar score in this matchup, which is crazy. Uh, you said that the blame it on the seating. Sure. But I think that in general, Toy Story 2 in the in the cosmos doesn't get enough respect as a Pixar film therefore often falls to the wayside in general um so i think it's right where i would expect somebody to put it um when you're thinking about pixar movies but it's an incredible uh score marissa any qualms there no um i definitely like toy story over monsters inc over this round um i do love monsters for what it is and what it has brought to the pixar portfolio but with everything you guys said, I, I won't elaborate anymore, but oh my gosh, like Toy Story 2 scores are just, are so great in how it tied into everything that the story is in the second film and how it connected to the third film and everything like that. And the introduction of new characters as well in the second film with Jesse, uh, Prospector Pete, and Bullseye and all those other, just saving Woody. It wasn't even just a Woody film, it was a buzz film and just... I, I love Toy Story 2 and the score and what it brought to everything that it is. So I'm very happy that Toy Story 2 moved on here. All right. Well, who will meet Toy Story 2 in the finals? It's between number two, Soul, and number six, Finding Nemo. These are two movies that are able to use the score to build worlds and do it very well. We're getting the ocean world built up very well through Finding Nemo and the use of vastness. And you get that same exact technique in Soul. Uh, it's just different sounds, different vibes, but they still display this like vastness that is both eerie and comforting at the same time. Uh, that's that spa quality, I think, in, bo in both movies. I talked a lot a lot, a lot about Finding Nemo last time and talk a lot about Soul. The thing is here is that now we're talking about like best Pixar score and Soul was, has a great score to accompany a great movie. In my opinion, we already did the mini episode and I thought it was a very good movie, um, but it doesn't feel that traditional um, Pixar score. It feels like a, a studio that made a really, really good jazz movie in cahoots with the the black community like they did justice to the story that they were telling um and and pixar is supposed to be telling diverse stories i mean they're supposed to be telling relatable stories and then people were tired of not being represented in those relatable stories so now we're starting to diversify which i think is super important um but there's nothing more to relate to than the fear of letting go uh, the fear of the unknown and the wanting to explore further and that all of those feelings get 
brought into Finding Nemo. And all of those feelings get brought out of you when you listen to the score. The movie itself is great. We crowned it the best Pixar film. Uh, and I think the score has a ton to do with that. And I brought it up in that Pixar bracket. And, and for good reason. It's beautiful. It f- makes you feel like you're underwater without the need for, for bubble sound effects. It feels like you're also lost alongside Marlin, Nemo, Dory. Like You feel like you're in there with them at all times. Um, I just love it. I'm moving on number six to the finals. Fear of letting go. Fear of the unknown. Wanting to explore further. Describes both of these movies, Kyle. Not just Finding Nemo. That to me, no, that to me. That's not I, Soul. Soul wasn't fear of letting go. He wanted to do bigger and better he things. He wanted. His mom. No, he wanted to get back yes. to Earth because he was afraid to be dead. That's how I interpreted it, Ellie. Sure. I think you're I think you're stretching the fear of letting go thing there. He felt like he wasn't done yet. That's not letting go. It's the it's the feeling of that's like feeling like there's more to see. That's almost the adventure side more. I I don't I don't really agree with that. Me stretching things that's what I do. Like that's, that's literally my specialty. Um no, I see a lot of parallels between like both of these scores and and both of these movies just in the way we've described them throughout sure um something we haven't talked about with finding nemo is the best number fronds like these which is the final piece and it does it starts out the exact same way as that first day number does where you got the whistle boom 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 but then it, bring, it pulls in that Nemo theme yes, that yeah. you so eloquently uh, did for us. Can't do it myself <laughs> off the top of my head because I don't really remember. But um, I just think that's a, a great way to, to end the movie because it's the bookends. It's that, um, that beginning where the music sounds like it's going somewhere something starting out and then and then that kind of like they almost like re like re reimagine that Nemo uh theme to to really make it feel like there's finality to it and it, it, it yeah it's like the the closing of one chapter the opening of another exactly and so it it makes us feel nostalgic for everything that's happened in the movie uh at the same time as like right something new is about to begin and i love i love the way that they bring both of those themes that they started the movie with to end the movie with, um, which is not unique to, to you know, Pixar scores, but I, I thought it was done especially well here when you consider like the ridiculous journey that we've gone on uh, this, <laughs> sure. th- throughout this whole thing. Um, so you were trying to figure out like what about this movie makes it feel oceany? <laughs> like what? Yeah. Like why does it feel so oceany? And it was most apparent to me in the piece haiku. I have no idea uh, when this happens in the movie, like what's happening on the screen, but it felt very wavy and it felt like they were kind of like getting l- louder and softer louder and softer and i think that they might do that kind of like throughout the score 
Um, There's this kind of like uh, strong to soft kind of like flow happening. I don't know. It's when they're in the whale, the whale's mouth. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah. It's one of my favorites. I think that soul is very ambitious. And I think it's something entirely new for Pixar. I think it, it breaks new ground. And I think when when I think about Pixar, it's a tale of two studios. It's it's the original, where you take these very quaint stories, um, and and look when you look beneath the surface, they're very heartfelt, very complex. Um, and then the new Pixar that is very very like existential and like explores yeah. these like very big topics. And to see a score act so ambitiously to go with such a like an ambitious theme in the movie like i respect that and so i want to see a classic pixar go up against something that's so kind of like revolutionary for the studio so i'm going with soul here which means marissa you're gonna have to choose which of these two will go to the finals i have only seen soul once and i I yeah i know i I I was supposed to watch it this week, but then Touch of Disney kind of ruined my plans. But that's okay. <laughs> um, I do like Soul, the appreciation of what it brought to the table and everything, and the different story that it brought. It was it it is very different from the other Pixar movies and the scores and everything. And obviously, I love jazz influence. Um, another side note, continuing on with my sixth grade adventure i was (laughs) second chair of saxophone out of five kids wow and i was the youngest so it was okay so jazz band was consists of sixth seventh and eighth graders and i beat out some kids wow because i wanted that borders gift card (laughs) (laughs) so obviously i love i love jazz i love what it brings to the table it's just, it's such a soothing sound. It, it it's very light on your ears. It's very relaxing. It's a very like it's for people who like music but don't want to like dance. But also, if there are people who want to dance, they can dance to it. It's a very like subtle beat to where you can still pick up things. Or if you want to learn, it's very like welcoming. Is what I think jazz is to me. It's very soothing, very welcoming. That aspect of it. But if we're looking at Pixar scores here, I am going to have to pick Finding Nemo. But I do love Soul. I do appreciate the music that it brought into. And Trevor Reznor and Atticus Ross did a phenomenal job. And I will never not credit them for what they did. So it's the battle of the cousins of Toy Story 2 and Finding Nemo. So whenever I walk into a Borders... Make a beeline for the Weird Al Yankovic CDs. That was like my go-to. This is my go-to thing to do at Borders. I bought I bought the first Good Charlotte CD at Borders. Oh, there we go. Okay. So, we got our final matchup. It's the number 13 seed, Toy Story 2, versus number 6, Finding Nemo. This is a solid, like, low-ish seed matchup here yeah uh neither of these were uh, favorites according to mighty ducks tweeters um 
I, I think this would have been hard for me if it was Toy Story 2 versus Soul, but as it is Toy Story 2 versus Finding Nemo, um, I think it's a little bit easier for me personally. I think that Finding Nemo is the better Pixar movie. It won our best Pixar bracket. Um, Toy Story 2 is one of my favorite Pixar movies. I think that it got bounced like fairly early on in yeah. the Pixar bracket. I think it lost Inside Out, if I remember. I correct. think so. Yeah. Um, and that was disappointing to me because I really think that it's a strong movie. Um, it's a great sequel. The music in these two movies is different. I think that there's not really anything particular about the quality of the music in Toy Story that makes you think toys. And when we think about Finding Nemo, like we keep saying, there is some indescribable quality about the music that makes you think ocean. And I think that's awesome from like a, a music scoring perspective. Pixar as a studio was built on the work of a lot of hard working animators, but also on the work of one very hard working composer named Randy Newman. Oh my God. <laughs> and I just seeing these two movies up against each other that to me are, are from the same era of Pixar, you know, those, those early ones, it would be like Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., Bugs Life, Cars, Finding Nemo, Toy Story 2. Throw Incredible, throw Incredibles in there too. You know, I, I, I have to go with Toy Story 2 because I think that it's the better representation of that era of Pixar musically. I think when we're talking about movie, I think Finding Nemo does it better because its heart is a little bit more unexpected, I think. But the heart in the music of Toy Story 2 is very plain to see. Not to say that there's no heart in the Finding Nemo score. There absolutely is. Um, I just think uh, the frequent use of character motifs in the music of Toy Story 2 um, just makes it so enjoyable uh, to listen to and to listen to along with watching the film. So I'm going with Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2 is the better Pixar score. thousand percent. Finding Nemo's score is amazing and gives you the feels and is a, an incredible listen. I, immediately after completing my notes, I was like, can I get a vinyl of Finding Nemo though? Like, can I get this you get the score on something that isn't just my phone and like it's because it's just so wonderful to listen to but the best pixar score in this matchup is toy story 2 without a doubt i'm crowning it the best pixar score the number 13 seed toy story 2 made the journey got the crown and as we do at the end of every single episode we're gonna clap it out Marissa, what do you think about Toy Story 2 taking down the juggernaut that is Finding Nemo? I'm not mad about it. Um, I do love Toy Story 2 score for what it is. And not to discredit cousin versus cousin or anything, but it's <laughs> like, you know, I looked this up before, um, well, while I was doing this uh, notes for the bracket, 
Thomas Doyle has 84 million streams for Nemo Egg, which is the main title score for Finding Nemo. That's 84 million streams. And Randy Newman, and that's just on Spotify alone. So we're not even counting anything else. So I just went on Spotify. And Randy Newman, his most streamed is Monsters, Inc. score, which is at 22 million. So, yeah, I thought that was insane. I was like, that's not right. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And then I went to Michael and Patrick's and Trevor Reznor and uh, Souls at 1.4 million. But, you know, it's a new film. So I was like, you know, that the analytics of that is off because it's such a brand new film. So I was like, you know, like I can't I can't compare that to anything, but. You know, I will never discredit an artist for putting out the creativity of what they're putting into a film. You know, each one of these are, even though it's a small list of artists, like, they did a heck of a job with this. And, you know, it's not easy breaking down these particular scores and what they bring to a film. And if anyone ever has the opportunity in the future to go to a symphony or to go to anything like I highly encourage it. It is an incredible experience. It is nothing like you've ever, I promise you it sounds weird at first, but (laughs) oh my gosh, just having the movie up there and then having a full live orchestra in front of you and playing all the scores. It is an unreal feeling that you will never feel. And I, I promise you, I know it sounds weird, but oh my gosh, it is so good and it makes you appreciate the movie even more. Even if you already love the film for what it is, you will recognize things that you didn't even realize the details were in there. So I loved, I love Finding Nemo, but I love Toy Story 2 as well. So I'm not mad that it is crown best, best Pixar score I'm happy that we got here. So that's all I have to say. All right, Marissa, thank you so much for joining us on this adventure. We really, really, really appreciate it. We love having you on the show. I love being on here and love you guys as well. So it's always fun coming on here. Folks, we've done it. We've reached the end of another successful Mouse Madness bracket. Hey, we've got a super exciting spring calendar coming your way and we need guest hosts. So if you want to hop on Zoom with us, you want to lay down some fire mouse madness tracks with us, please reach out to us. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Even if you've just got something to say about this Pixar score stuff, if you've got a bracket idea suggestion, anything, please email us. mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter at MouseMadnessPod, Instagram at MouseMadnessPod. We're also on Facebook, and we have a Discord channel that is lit at all times. It's been blowing up while we've been recording here. Yeah. People are dropping, they're dropping spoonful of sugar recipes on us while we're trying to record. <laughs> um, it's a great time. We'd love to have you there. More exciting stuff coming next week, folks. Till next time. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming.